0: We're going to go ahead and get started. This morning we're going to be continuing our series on the book of James. Worship was really good this morning, wasn't it? It was awesome. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to be continuing our series on the book of James, and we're going to be looking at the first chapter of James, which I kind of started with an introduction last week. I want to uh, read a story to you this morning that it's a story that illustrates what I believe the Lord wants to speak to us today. It goes like this: When I was pregnant with my daughter, Alyssa, I would walk every morning at a local mall. My husband and I were in seminary and couldn't afford a gym membership. So walking at the mall was large and air condi- so walking at the mall, which was large and air-conditioned, was a great solution. After a few weeks in the new workout setting, I was friends with the fellow mall walkers. We varied in age from 20s to late 80s. We had the fast walkers, the casual walkers, the slow walkers, and the ones who said they were walkers, but really they were just there to drink coffee and catch up. We were an odd but delightful group. I developed two friendships that became particularly close during that time. First there was Joe, an elderly widow who could hang with the fast walkers, and Kara, a hardworking single mom who struggled to make ends meet. Monday through Friday, I would leave home early and drive the 30 minutes towards my job in order to get to the mall for a quick two-mile walk with Joe and Kara and the rest of the crew. They all watched and commented as my belly grew over the months. Towards the end of my pregnancy, I went from the fast walking group to the casual walking group. As I slowed down, Kara slowed down with me. She stayed right by my side every morning. Joe, on the other hand, was still friendly but wasn't able to slow down. He was chasing widows in the fast-walking crowd. Good for you, Joe. (laughs) Then one day, about eight months into my pregnancy, I had a tough morning. I became lightheaded on my second lap and had to sit for a while. Kara sat with me. We quickly realized something wasn't quite right. I asked Kara to call my husband so he could leave class and come get me. She just stared at me and said, "'Is that how it works in your church?' Because in my church, when someone is in need, we're stop, we stop what we're doing and we help. Girl, you need help. I'm driving you home. Your husband can come get the car. Now, where do you live? Now, that was really sweet, but I lived 30 minutes away. And for her to take me home would mean her missing a shift at work. My first instinct was there's no way I was letting her lose some of her paycheck on my account. But she insisted. She insisted. This is what Christians do, Jen. We show up. We put our faith into action. It's who we are, and it's what we do, even when it's hard. Now let's get you home. And then she did. She got me home, put me in bed, and waited until Jim got there. Friends, I'm teary as I write this. It was love in action. She was living out her faith, and I was the beneficiary that day. Jim and I didn't have much materially at the time. But Kara had even less. When I needed someone, she put her needs aside and took care of me. Even when it was hard, even when it cost her, she taught me a lot about what it means to be a Christian that day. Everything turned out fine with the pregnancy, by the way, just a little pre-labor pain. Kara was a great example for me of doing more than listening to God's word. She immediately went to action. For her, the sermons on Sunday and her life on Monday ran parallel. Unfortunately, at times, we know more than we're doing. James warns against this. For us to fully live out our potential as God's people, we must show up and allow ourselves to be inconvenienced and do what God's word instructs us to do. Care for the sick, help the poor, love the difficult, and be patient with everyone, and the list goes on and on. This story illustrates well what I believe that God calls us to do as Christians and what James talks to us about in the first chapter of James. This morning I was going to read the whole chapter, chapter 1 of James to you, but for the sake of time I'm going to skip ahead to the portion of Scripture that I want to spend the rest of our time looking at this morning. We're going to start reading in verse 19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word that God planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the word. So, the first thing that James points out that I want to draw to your attention is James says to be quick, then slow, then slow. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now remember, James is speaking to a church that he pastored and Jewish believers that have been scattered by persecution. So he knows these people well. He's spent time with them. He knows their personalities. He knows their shortcomings. And he gives them this advice. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I feel like this is some of the best relational advice that we could ever take and apply to our lives. Whether it's a marriage relationship or a parent-child relationship or a relationship at work or a roommate, we all could use this in our life. I want you to think for a second to the last argument or fight or disagreement that you had with someone. Maybe for some of you it's going to take a little while to think of it. Maybe for some of you it was just moments before you walked in the door this morning. That happens to the best of us. But just think of that argument or that fight that you had for a second. I believe that if you would have put this work into action to a greater degree in your life in that argument or that fight or that misunderstanding, it probably would have gone a lot better if you would have been quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How many problems have happened in your life because you spoke too quickly? How many of you, your mouth has gotten you into trouble way too many times? I know it has mine. David said in Psalm 141.3, set a guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. This is David saying, God, I need you to muzzle me up, like bring the Holy Spirit here to cover my mouth, to stop me from sticking my foot in my mouth and saying stuff that I shouldn't say and saying it at a time that I shouldn't say it. It's been said that God gave us two ears and one mouth because he wanted us to listen more than we speak. I'm not sure that that's actually true. I think God gave us two ears because we'd look pretty weird with just one ear. But I think that learning to listen more would serve a lot of us well. I believe that when James, what James means by listening isn't simply not talking. I believe what James is talking about is learning to understand what the person that you're talking to is saying to try and understand them, to try and listen intently to them. A lot of times the reality is that when we're in a disagreement or an argument, we might think that we're listening to someone, but really we're not listening to them at all. We're building a case in our mind for why we're right and they're wrong. We're like getting our ammunition in order for as soon as they take their breath for us to pounce and tell them why we're right and why they're wrong. We're not actually listening to them. You'll learn a lot more from listening than you will from talking. When James says to be slow to speak, he's saying to take time to digest what the other person said. It's almost like James said, okay, you did a good job listening, but now before you start speaking, be slow to speak. Take some time to digest what the other person said to you. You don't need to feel like you need to jump back in and and give a rebuttal right away. But take some time to digest what the other person is saying. Oftentimes, what the other person is telling us is how they're experiencing us or how the people around us are experiencing us. The people that are closest to us, they actually hold up a mirror to show us what we look like to the world around us. And for a lot of us, there's things that we're blind to. There's things about ourselves that we don't know and it just seems normal to us and we're missing it. But if we allow it, the people closest to us can hold up a mirror and say, hey, this is what you look like to the people around you. And this is where, if we're careful, iron can actually sharpen iron. Sometimes I've gotten together with people who were in the middle of a disagreement and they were looking for someone to step in and help them. Maybe it was a a marriage relationship, or maybe it was friends that couldn't get along over something, or it was a business relationship that had gone sour. And I'll kind of listen to the people and listen to them and hear what's, what they're experiencing in the situation and what's going on. And oftentimes I'll find out that what they're actually arguing about isn't actually the issue at all. They think they're arguing over what the issue is, but they're really not. I'll tell you what I mean by that. You guys remember this game you'd play as a kid called Telephone? Like You'd sit in a circle and you'd whisper something into their ear and then they pass the message around and you said purple hippopotamus and by the time it got back around they said broccoli for dinner and you're like, how in the world did, did that happen? Well, what happens is when you do that, those words get passed through a whole lot of different people and those people are like filters. They hear what they hear and they pass it to the next person. By the time it gets all the way around, it's like something totally different. When you're, when you're talking to someone... You're taking their words, and you're pulling it through the filter of your life experience. You're pulling it through the filter of your hurts. So sometimes somebody will say something to us, and after it comes through that filter, what we heard is actually totally different than what that person said. So sometimes I'll be talking to groups of people. They're having a hard time agreeing, or they're fighting over something, they can't agree. And then they'll, there'll be a time when we're talking where they'll be like, that's what the issue was? Like, I thought we were fighting about this, like... Now we have a whole new thing to fight about. Like, I thought we were arguing over that, but really that wasn't the issue at all because we pull what people say through filters. And James says if we would be slow to speak and quick to listen, it would help us to digest what the other person is saying. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then James says be slow to become angry. I just want you to think for a second. What good has anger produced In your life? Has it served you well in what you want to accomplish? Has anger served you well? James says, Be slow to anger. And then he tells us why. He says, Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, the anger that you're expressing is not producing in your life what God wants to produce in your life. And then James says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So here James just said that the anger that we express is not producing the righteousness that God wants to produce in us. And then he takes it a step further and referring back to that same anger, he calls it moral filth and evil. That's pretty intense. He calls the anger that we express moral, filth, and evil. When I read this, I actually had kind of a a little bit of a different thought. So I read that and I thought, that sounds like the most un-American verse I've ever read in the Bible. Like, as Americans, we feel so justified in our anger. And we feel like it's not only justified in expressing our anger... We almost feel like it's our civil responsibility to express our anger. And God looks at that anger that we're expressing, and he says, Sorry, guys, but it's not producing the righteousness that I want to produce in you. And really, it's moral filth, and it's evil. Before I go on in the message, I just want to take a second to, to just sit before the Lord with this for a second. So you can go ahead and just close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You don't have to answer these out loud. In fact, please don't. But do you struggle with anger sometimes? Are there times where you feel anger bubbling up in you and you're not even totally sure where that comes from? Maybe if you're really honest, it's more than just sometimes that you see anger come out of you. Maybe the truth is you're an angry person. If that's you this morning, I just want you to put your hands together and just picture yourself holding that anger. And just say, God, I give this anger to you this morning. It's not serving me well. God, would you take this anger and replace it with what you want to? It's not producing the righteousness that you want to produce in me. Amen. You can open your eyes. The next thing that James says is he says to be a doer. This is in verses 22 Through twenty five he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but do it, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here, James talks about being a doer of the word. He's talking about living out our faith. Now, this is something that people, Christians, tend to get a little bit confused about sometimes. Because here, James is talking about being a doer, and he's talking about works. But the Apostle Paul says that salvation comes to us by grace alone. And that feels like conflicting information. It's like, well, wait a second. Is it through works, or is it through grace? Maybe some of you will remember hearing about Martin Luther. And Martin Luther actually felt this so strongly that Martin Luther believed that the book of James should be removed from the Bible because it, it, it propagated a gospel that was different than that which the Apostle Paul propagated. So, what is going on here and what is the confusion? Let me explain. Martin Luther was a Catholic. And in, in being a Catholic, He was a part of a religion that was a religion of works. It was a religion of doing in order to receive salvation. Then Martin Luther read the book of Romans, and God showed up in his life in such a powerful way, brought such revelation that he realized, I have been wrong about this salvation of works. He he nails the 95 Theses to the door, and he walks away from the Catholic Church, and he was so stricken by what God did in him that he said I don't want anything to do with works for the rest of my life it's grace alone he, he hung his hat on that phrase that Paul said it's grace alone and then when he read the book of James and he reads about these works he feels like it's conflicting with what Paul said But in reality, what's happening is they're talking about two different things. When Paul says it's grace alone, he says that our salvation is purchased by grace alone. There's nothing that you and I could do in and of ourselves to earn salvation. We could never perform well enough. We fall short every single time. So Paul says when it comes to salvation, it's grace alone. But James is writing this book to people who are already believers he's saying that salvation that was purchased by grace alone, that salvation should produce the fruit of good work in your life. Doing good work should be a result of salvation. It's not doing good works to receive salvation. And we can see that Paul actually agreed with James on this. When Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we are God's handiwork. Another version says God's workmanship, like God's prized thing that he worked on. It says, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So this is the Apostle Paul that says salvation comes by grace alone. He agrees with James, and he actually says, you and I were created for good works, and God has gone into the future and created good works for you and I to walk in. Remember John, the disciple, John spent seemingly the most time with Jesus. It seems like John actually spent more time with Jesus than anyone else. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loves. And that relationship with Jesus, that salvation that he experienced in Jesus, produces all kinds of good works in John's life. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 10, it says that John went around doing good works works. You and I were created to do good works. And the idea that I want to to embrace and I want to see you embrace is this idea that we continue to grow in good works. That as we get, we don't just get older, we actually grow in our relationship with God where good works becomes more and more a part of our lives. This is actually an area that I look up to Pastor Chris, my father, in a lot. I worked for him here for 17 years, and if you were a part of this church during those 17 years, you would agree with me that Pastor Chris changed a lot during that time. I'm not saying he was bad when he started out. He was good good 17 years ago, but God did a lot in his life during those 17 years. During that time, Pastor Chris repeatedly signed up for For to be a part of things that would cause him to grow, that would confront things in him, that would cause him to change. And he grew in his doing. He grew in his ability to be more like Jesus, and that produced more doing in his life. And what I want you to know this morning is it's not too late. It's not too light. You, you can teach an old dog new tricks, and there is more good works that God can begin to create inside of you. In fact, the good works are out there in front of you just waiting for you to walk into those things. The third thing that James says is to watch your mouth. This is in James 1:26. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves And their religion is worthless. This is pretty intense what James says here. Like he uses some super, super intense language. It's also interesting because James already spoke to the issue of how we handle our mouth. He said, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. So like why is James talking about this again? Could he not think of anything else to say here and he just kind of decided to repeat himself? I don't think that's actually true. James has got five more chapters of stuff that he wants to tell us. I think the reason that he repeats himself is I believe that every time the Bible repeats itself it's because it's something that we needed to hear again. It's something that's that such a significant part of us walking out our faith that we need to hear it again. James says the fruit of the Spirit has to be evident in the way that you use your mouth, in the way that you speak. It has to show up where the rubber meets the road. Your relationship with Christ cannot just be a theoretical idea. It has to actually be something that affects your life in the way that you speak. So James had been a pastor of this church for a while, and I think he saw that the people in his congregation tend to get themselves in trouble with their mouth a lot. And I think probably... Every pastor could say that about their congregation. We all tend to get ourselves into trouble with our mouths a lot, don't we? So here, James says that if your mouth is not under control, that your religion is actually worthless. This has to affect the way that we speak to each other in our marriages, our relationship with God has to affect the way that we talk to our kids. Our relationship with God has to affect the way that we talk to our boss, has to affect the way that we speak to our employees, it has to do with what we say when no one else is around. Do we talk behind people's back? Do we gossip about people? James is saying that this relationship with God has to affect our lives where the rubber meets the road, and the crux of it for so many of us is how we use our mouth. James says to be quick quick, to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says, don't, don't be merely a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And he says, those who don't have control of their tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, these words by James, they confront us, and they confront all of us in a place that we tend to be weak oftentimes, which is our mouth. We say things we shouldn't. We say it at times that we shouldn't. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask you to forgive us. Lord, I ask that our relationship with you would be a relationship that affects us in all the real places of our life, not just some theoretical idea, not just something that we come to church and we, we sing and raise our hands on a Sunday morning, But Lord, that it would affect us on Monday. It would affect us in the relationships of our lives. It would affect how we speak to one another. And Lord, I ask you to do something so powerful in each one of us in the way that we speak to each other and the way that we interact with each other that people around us would look and they would know that there's something different about us by the way that we speak to each other. And Lord, there's some of us who are here this morning that we struggle with anger. And we just come and we, we set that at your feet and we say, Lord, we realize this isn't producing the righteousness in us that you want to produce. And we repent and we ask you to forgive us for the times that we've fallen short, for the anger that we've harbored, Lord. Lord, I ask that there would be such a freedom uh, in the people that are here this morning that we really would change in the way that we speak. And Lord, I ask you to point it out to us, even this week as we're going going about our lives and doing all the stuff that we have planned. Lord, I ask you to show us the places that our mouth is not glorifying you and honoring you. Lord, I ask you to bless each one as they go from this place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Bless you guys. Have an awesome week.